We'll be reading from John chapter 12, so you can open a pew Bible. That's on page 872. John 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thank you, Sophie. Um, let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would open up our eyes to the things that are unseen. Help us to behold your glory in the face of Christ. Amen. Well, I have a friend who likes to do things differently. Uh, he's not afraid to break the mould. So when he got engaged, he and his fiancée, they threw an engagement party that wasn't actually an engagement party. In fact, it was a surprise wedding. So we came, expecting some light fun and celebration, nothing too fancy. Uh, but when all was revealed, this small celebration had all of a sudden taken on much greater significance. And today, as we look at John chapter 12, we're going to find a celebration that doesn't fit our expectations. A celebration of greater significance. Today is what we call Palm Sunday. Many Christians today celebrate that Easter is one week away. But really, Palm Sunday is a celebration that echoes another celebration that happened 2,000 years ago when the people of Jerusalem hailed the arrival of Jesus to their city. John, who wrote the gospel, he will be our guide to teach us the true significance of that day. But it may surprise you. Whether you've celebrated Palm Sunday for years or whether this is your first time being in church, the story that John tells us isn't the one that we expect. As we begin, John is inviting us to meet Jesus, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Meet Jesus, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We enter this story halfway through the Gospel of John. We're in the land of Israel. The Jewish nation is currently occupied by the Romans. Up to this point in the story, John writes about Jesus performing miracles. Uh, he calls them signs. So these seven amazing signs are demonstrations of who Jesus is. You might have heard of some of them, like feeding a crowd of 5,000 people with just a small plate of food. Or, or giving sight to a man who was born blind. 
Now, what do you think such signs tell us about who Jesus is? Well, Jesus' people, the Jews, they are starting to build their own thoughts about these signs. Crowds are gathering around this miracle man, this great teacher, and they're finding help, healing, and hope. And many are making the connection. Could this be the Messiah? God's chosen ruler, the one we've been waiting for to deliver us. Let's find out. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So there's a festival going on in Jerusalem. The city is packed for the Passover, biggest gathering of the year. And yet in the midst of all that, there's a great big crowd of people who are more interested in Jesus coming to town. They've heard of the things that he's been doing, and they're ready to wave palm branches at him. Strange to us, but deeply symbolic to the people who were there. This appears to be a royal procession. They use the palm branches to give Jesus a king's welcome. They're treating Jesus like a royal warrior returned home after victorious battle. And hear the words they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's that about? Well, it's interesting. These words come from an ancient song, and they seem to be carefully chosen. They come from Psalm 118, which is in itself a royal procession psalm. In that psalm, it, it, God's people give thanks for the deliverance of the king of Israel. There's a situation where God, as the ultimate ruler, uh, saves his chosen king and blesses his chosen people. So it says, Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And it also says, Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is Psalm 118. But the words the crowd are shouting are from verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the children of Israel, they'd sung this psalm, Psalm 118, for generations. And over time, especially through those long years of being held down by stronger nations like Babylon, Greece, and Rome. Over time, this phrase, he who comes, he who comes, began to take on messianic connotations. It came to signify the Messiah, who one day comes to conquer the enemies of Israel and establish God's people in peace and abundance. Okay, so the picture is building. The crowd is making a statement that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. And that word, Hosanna, that literally means, God, please save us. But over time, it had come to be something 
that you would shout at a feast, you know, a general expression of praise. You know, my, my big fat Greek wedding, Oppa! Hosanna! This is it. This is party time. The Jewish people have waited and suffered for centuries and as a people who were seemingly abandoned by their God, always under the foot of some foreign power. But now is the day of salvation. Finally, God's king has come to conquer. Hosanna! At last, salvation is here. Hosanna! This is the king worth celebrating. Or is he? Is he the one who comes in the name of the Lord? Because I'm reading this and I'm ready to jump in with the crowd and join their celebration of Jesus. But something's not quite right here. How is it that these people can be welcoming Jesus as their saviour now and then a week later they want him dead? Is John being ironic? This story seemed to be straightforward. God's people recognise their king. But reading on in John's gospel, we find that this same crowd who celebrate Jesus condemn him to death. Their shouts of praise turn into cries of crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was hung on a cross by the very people he came to save. What's going on here? Well, the first conclusion we can draw is that it's possible to think well of Jesus and still find yourself against him. It's possible to think well of Jesus and still find yourself against him. So don't fool yourself. Just because you're here at Nawi Baptist Church on Palm Sunday, that doesn't mean you're on the side of Jesus. You might have a very high view of Jesus. You might think him to be the greatest man who ever lived. You know what? You could still be wrong. So we need to ask ourselves if we really are on Jesus' side. Or are we just like the people of Jerusalem? who sing Jesus' praises, but their hearts are far from him. Where did they go wrong? Well, they were wrong about the kind of king Jesus is and the way that he triumphs. The Israelites thought that if Jesus is the Messiah and he's come to conquer the Romans, that's what Messiah does. He delivers God's people from God's enemies. But for Jesus, God's enemies are not the Romans, but the powers of death and darkness that hang over every human who is fixed in rebellion against God. And God's people, God's people are not simply the Israelite nation, but is made up of everyone who believes in Jesus and receives new life by God's spirit through faith. And the deliverance, well, Messiah delivers God's people, not with a mighty sword, but through his sacrificial death on the cross. 
This is why Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Did you notice the significance of the donkey? No one else did either. So read verse 14 with me. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So the donkey fulfills what was written by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9. See, daughter Zion, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. But who is saying these words? It isn't the crowd, like before. It's not even Jesus' disciples who make the connection at this time. This is John, looking back on the event after Jesus was glorified. In the book of Zechariah, the donkey is a symbol of peace. In that vision in Zechariah 9, Messiah defeats Israel's enemies and enters Zion, Jerusalem, not on a war horse because the time of war is over, he rides in on a donkey. But in the book of John, this act of Jesus takes on new meaning. The donkey demonstrates his humility. It signifies the way he's going to triumph, not as a powerful, all-conquering warrior, but as a humble man, laying himself bare on a cross. Read on and you'll find this same irony highlighted in the book of John. Jesus is the king by his death on the cross. So he was crowned with a crown of thorns. Not praised and exalted by the people, he was spat on and despised. His hour of glory was a time of sheer agony and shame. Jesus was not the king the Jews were looking for. They wanted a national deliverer. And he came to be crushed for sins. We don't come to Jesus on our own terms. He isn't there to meet our needs. We really need to find out who Jesus is on his own terms. What sort of king is he? What sort of life is he inviting us into? See, I think for a lot of us, uh, we choose to either accept or reject Jesus based on our own thoughts of him. So we make up our minds on a Jesus that we've made up in our minds. A friend was telling me about their brother who didn't want to hear what my friend had to say about Jesus or about what the Bible says about sin and judgment. Uh, because, this is what he said, that's not my Christianity. That's not how I like to think of Jesus. The problem is, if you read the Gospels, honestly, Jesus is shocking. Jesus subverts all our expectations of who we think he should be. 
So then, is Jesus a failure? Is this whole celebration of him as the king who comes to save a sham? If the crowd is shouting Hosanna for the wrong reasons, then why do we even have this story in the Bible? Ah, but you see, it is in the Bible. There is a message here that God wants to tell us today. And in a sense, it's not different to where we began. This is a story about rejoicing over King Jesus and his triumphant mission to save us. That's what they celebrated on that day, and it's what we celebrate today on Palm Sunday. But in John's Gospel, this celebration takes on greater significance. Were our hopes for Jesus too great? No. No, they weren't big enough. So let's look at how John presents Jesus as the greater king with the greatest victory. The greater king with the greatest victory. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they'd heard that he'd performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. In the previous chapter, uh, we read the last great sign that Jesus did when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now there is a clear sign of who Jesus is. Is there any clearer sign than bringing a person back to life? And still, the people respond differently. There are the people like here who are shaken from their blindness and they can see the power of God at work in Jesus and they just want to tell others about it. And yet there are also those people like the Pharisees who at the end of chapter 11 display the hardness of their hearts in the, in the face of the truth that is glaring in front of them. So they ask, what are we doing Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come. Rather than submitting to Jesus as their king from God, they decide to find a way to kill him. In verse 19, John shows the Pharisees looking on to this celebration scene with frustration. This is the last thing they want, a great crowd gathering around Jesus, calling him king. But do you see the way that John words what they said? Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, obviously, hundreds of people, you know, maybe even thousands of people gathered around Jesus. um, That's not the whole world. But this is John's subtle hint that there's something going on here that's greater than what appears. There's one Bible commentator who puts it this way. The Pharisees are concerned that there are a few Judeans being influenced by Jesus. But their words express John's conviction that Jesus was conquering the world. Did you get that? Jesus didn't come to defeat the Romans. He came to triumph over every evil power in this world that is set against God and become the world's ruler. 
That's what Jesus says himself later in the chapter. If you flick down a few verses, you read that Jesus is understanding his hour has come. It's time to do what he came to do, dying himself to offer eternal life to all. So he says in verse 31, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. What Jesus achieves in his death and resurrection is monumental. He judges the world. That is, he condemns all evil in this world that fights against its creator. He judges the devil, the one who holds the power of death over us. Christ overpowered him, our greatest enemy. And he goes down into death but bursts out through the grave. And so Jesus emerges as the triumphant ruler over everyone and every nation to be praised for all eternity. On that day in Jerusalem, the Israelites were celebrating their king come to save. But the way John describes that event points us to the death and resurrection of Jesus, a far greater triumph. So you and I can read this today and see that Jesus' ride into the holy city, it actually symbolizes his ride up to the heavenly city, not just as the king of Israel, but as the king of all nations. So, although we've taken the long way around to get here, we've, we've ended up at the same point. It's party time. Let's celebrate the arrival of King Jesus as we look ahead to Easter. The most glorious victory for the most worthy conqueror. However, let's remember, what we've seen is that for Jesus, triumph looks like death. And so as Christians, while it's true that in Christ we have the victory, that's true, but we win in this world when we follow the pattern of Christ. Triumph through suffering. Victory in defeat. So if we think our lives are going to be all rosy now that we're on the side of Jesus, we've got it wrong. If we expect to have Success after success, overcoming evil with great strength, then John 12 has something to teach us about what victory looks like in this life. If they ridicule you for your Christian beliefs, what would you do? If they took your gentle response and twisted it and made you look stupid and weak, how would you feel? If you didn't give up, but patiently prayed for a chance to explain the hope that you have and were only ever excluded and misunderstood, has God let you down? Or maybe it's your expectations that have let you down. Maybe, like the Israelites, our vision for victory 
is too small. May we learn this Palm Sunday to have the eyes of faith to see that in our suffering we share in the victory of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. We praise you for your victory over every evil power and that we share in your suffering and in your glory. Help us to trust and follow you this day. Amen.